What up, what up, what up, everybody? Welcome back to Today's the Day with Zach Anderson. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Today's the Day with Zach Anderson. What up, what up, what up? Um, welcome to Today's the Day. All right, what's up, everybody? Um, welcome to Today's the Day. Much loved, everybody. Today's the day. Thank you guys for tuning in as always. I wanted to jump on super quick and let you guys know. Um, I'm extremely excited to announce that we finally have the top 10 journals live. They're on todaysthedayshop.com. Make sure you go and get yours. These things are perfect. We got them to the T exactly how we want them. It took longer than we were hoping, but they're amazing. I can't wait for you guys to go and implement these practices and develop these habits that have completely changed my life. So go and check out the journals, go and get yours today. Um, and I appreciate you guys. Much love. This will be a fun, this will be a fun episode. I'm excited. It will to your own show as well. Absolutely. I'm interested. Have you talked with Bodhi about that directly? Well, when I was coming up on like breaking that, and here's the thing with that is the the regional level and title and everything has changed in the company over the years and yeah. everything like that. But I asked uh-huh. Bodie, I was like, who's the youngest regional ever? And he's like, oh, me. And if you know Bodie, it's like- He's competitive, man. Oh yeah. I mean, he's he he's, he's a dog. He's a different type of person. He's yeah. like me at 23. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm like, I can do that. I'm like, I think I could do that. Yeah. And I was I was given the title title regional when I was 23 years old. So I, I claim that a thousand percent. I tied Bodie for youngest regional at Vivint <laughs> all day. Absolutely. But he obviously did things on a yeah. different type of scale. Anytime you can get to that. <laughs> so it's funny. I did um I did a podcast with Bodie um man two or three years ago. And I remember him telling me that <clears throat> he actually got off doors. So you know Kenny Cox. Yep. But he was getting calls from dudes and he and they're like Bo, we need you off doors and like, we, we need you answering the phone and solving problems. And he's like, yeah. it was so hard to get off doors because he's such a dog, man. It's addicting. And that's, I'm, I'm in that, that phase right now. It's a really weird phase actually, where you're more valuable in a different place than you used to be. Yeah. And you've worked for years to be so valuable yeah. in one, one aspect Area. of the word. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you kind of become more valuable outside of that, helping other people. And it's a weird transition. It's a pride hit. It's it's different for everybody, for sure. It's a lot. It's like, you know, I and I do want to get into your your personal story, but I, I um, did an interview with um, Jordan Benning. And one of the cool things that, that he said um, was, after mountains, there's more mountains. Always. And it's just like, you know, he was like, you know, you're, you're a crappy rep, and then you're a crappy manager. And then you're a crappy regional yeah. and then you're a crappy VP. But it's like each level of that is like, you know, he's saying you're crappy because when you first start doing it, there's all of these different emotions and there's different aspects of the game. And you're trying to learn how to deal with different aspects of the yep. business and everything. And it's like, it takes a while to adjust to each level of it. And it's a slap in the face because typically you come from being the best at the last position. Yeah. You come from being like the top yeah. dog yeah. and then you're the smallest manager. And now I, and I, and I, I ran the biggest, the biggest team at Vivint. And now I'm like a pitiful regional compared to the regionals. Or if you go compare me to the partners, it's like, it's just, it's so crazy. It's so true though. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. After mountains, more mountains. So I like to start, um, and this is going to be cool, man. I was just listening to TP on, on your podcast. Um, today's the day. And I was right in the middle of the, the Holy spirit moment, which was dope. Saw TP at the game last night. Got to say hi to him. That, it's always exciting for me. Um, but I want to start with, um, and I know your listeners will love to hear about you as well. So yeah. I, I want to start with <clears throat> you, a little bit about how you grew up, family life, what that was like. Can yeah. I do the, should I do the slurp? Yeah, thing do the slurp thing, please. 
That was a good, that was better. We might sample that and take that. That was better than my slurp. That's good. We're still trying to get the sponsor. It's coming though. It's coming. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me help. There you go. That's perfect. So, um, yeah. What was like early yeah. childhood like? Yeah. So, um, I talk about it like super, super openly because I think it's so key and I think it did so much for me. Yeah. And, and I always preface with two things. I'm super grateful for it and hindsight, I wouldn't change a single thing. Mm. Right. But there were a lot of things growing up that we can dive into in however deep you want to in any of them that seemed like the end of the world at the time for mm. sure. Um, but growing up was crazy. And, and I also don't have the best memory and I have things that I like re-remember as time goes on. It's kind of yeah, crazy. I vibe with that. Um, but I, I grew up in a pretty crazy household. There's six, six siblings originally. So six born into one family, same two parents cranked out pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Right. So like there, I have a younger brother, a couple years younger than me, an older sister, a couple years older than me. And I was the third of six. So I had an older sister and older brother and the rest younger siblings. Um, when I was about seven years old, I mean, up until seven years old, things were pretty normal. I don't really know how much you remember before seven, but I just remember night games, hanging out, doing my thing in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, parents got a divorce though when I was seven years old. And that was kind of like groundbreaking, crazy. Didn't really know what was going on. Kind of fun at first in a very immature way. Cause you're like, oh, I'm going to dad's house. That's sick. Like yeah. he has like, we eat Costco pizza every time yeah. and watch the same couple movies, yeah. which is like some of my favorite memories. Um, but then my parents actually ended up getting remarried to each other when I was about nine years old. So a couple of years later. Um, but then they got divorced again when I was 10, 11 or something like that. Somewhere along that timeline. And the second time was like intense. Oh no. It was like, not again. Like yeah. we just fixed everything. Like, and as a kid, it's all, always all about you. You don't think about anything else, obviously. Yeah. The, so just real quick on that. I, you know, I, I've, I, I'm separated from my daughter's mom and you know, one of the things I, I do therapy, I'm pretty open about that. It just helps yeah. clarify my mind and you know, the peel the, the layers back. But I've had conversations with my therapist about what happens with the child is children still have an ego and we don't really, we don't think about that that much. Yeah. The problem is if we're not, oh, we don't have open lines of communication with our children when they're going through that, their ego tends to kind of blame themselves. Yeah. They, they don't, their ego doesn't know where to place those situations. So yep. it can be an intense situation. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And as a kid that for anyone who's, who's experienced that, it's a really weird, uh, situation or environment to go and be in. It's a, it's a very weird and everyone handles it differently. Like all of my siblings we're so different from when we're, we're, we're becoming more similar now. Cause we're getting way closer. Everyone's getting over things as kids though. Like people handled it, handled it super different. The way I handled it was like shutting down. I went into like a little, like I just didn't want to be noticed. Basically I figured if I'm not noticed, I can't cause a problem. Mm. Right. And that, that's the way that I, and I think I kind of blocked out a lot of things as well, but yeah, I mean, I mean, and I've done some things since then. One, one thing that I've done that's helped for anyone who's, who's listening, that's like really struggled with this type of stuff. I did what's called the Hoffman experience recently. This is a total side note, by the way. Amazing experience. Is that the one in California? That yes. Just, dude, Doug told me about yes. that. He's like, it's life changing. It's, it's I'm ins signing up. It's insane. You'll, you'll love it. It's I want to hear five grand. I know. I want to hear all about it when you go and you go, they take your phone away. I couldn't even explain what you do out there. Like I, I I'm not even going to try. It wouldn't benefit anybody. Um, but it's, it's completely, I mean, there, there's, there's no drugs involved or anything like that. There's literally no assistance other than yourself. Mm. And you're with this very small group. You have like this, they call them a teacher that kind of walks you through and you're, you're just kind of dealing with your stuff, whatever that may be. And for me, in my situation, it was childhood. Right. And that, it, it was insanely beneficial and the science behind it's amazing. Basically they go and they rewire these neuro connections from when you were a kid and you were mm. in this ecosystem that you 
you shouldn't have been in, mm-hmm. but it's nobody's fault, but you're not equipped to handle it as a kid. It's like you're, the, the, the chemicals your brain releases when certain things happens as a kid is the same as like a life-threatening situation as an adult. So you have all this trauma that really might not have been that traumatic. It's like my parents got divorced big, big, like they're still awesome. Both of them loved us. Like there were so many other things that were so great, but that I allowed little things to go on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that we're talking about this because I'm in, you know, I'm 47. I'll be 48 in, um, in, in June. I think I'm the oldest person at legacy. There we go. (laughs) I'm live, but you're dominating. That's all that matters. Good. Um, not in the industry, but, um, I'm just getting into what you're into right now. Like my last six months have been really focused on like, um, well really the last couple of years, but I've been really like attacking, you know, people underestimate trauma and they underestimate how they interact with the world and they're, they're right. Dr. Covey says we see the world as we think it is not as it truly is. Right. Yep. And so I, you know, it just makes you more dangerous as a human being and dangerous in a positive way. It makes you a better, you know, you have your interpersonal relationships are better yeah. the way you interact with humans. You're especially in our industry. I mean, our industry is based on, um, leadership through servitude and the better you understand yourself, the better you understand your traumas, the better you interact with the world, the better you interact with your team members, the better you can recruit, the better you can everything, everything. And I everything. think uh, this is a conclusion I came to not to cut you off no, go at, at Hoffman. I, I came to this conclusion that it's like the most important thing to go and produce at a really high level, or honestly just live in a really fulfilled way, whatever you view success as, whether it's being a really good dad or being very successful in the industry or whatever it may be like a superpower. Mm. And this, this, re-resonated with me and I just went and rewatched the last dance with, with about Michael Jordan mm. is, is being able to be fully present in whatever you're doing. Mm. And trauma completely obliterates the possibility to do that. hundred percent. If you don't go work through the stuff on the inside, that's always there and you can't go be fully present Yeah. and you can't go execute at the level you should in any aspect of your life. And in watching like that, I, that came to that realization at Hoffman because you go set intentions and mine was like, I just want to be present. I want to feel peace. Right. Like that, that's what I care about mm. right now. And I went and rewatched the last dance and Tim Grover speaking about Michael Jordan, his, his, his coach. Um, and he's like, his superpower was, he was absolutely present wow. always. Like if he gets on the court, that's what matters. If he's at practice, that's what matters. If he's dealing with this press conference, that's what matters. And I mean, the dude went and excelled in ev- not only basketball, you have to also realize yeah, he, he's he, a businessman. He, yeah. He yeah. did not only excel at basketball. No. The man is a genius. He's a goat. Exactly. Yeah, so sure. I love that. I think people really underestimate, um, the, the power of it. So you go through, and, and I love that, that you're working on that. I think a lot of people don't. So you're going through the, the trauma as a childhood and it is trauma. Trauma is trauma. Like, you mm-hmm. know, I, I had a really tough childhood. I'm I'm not a fan of anybody trying to compare trauma. Like trauma yeah. trauma is, you know, equal to whoever's going through it in their own space. Totally. Like, so you go through that. Um, are you the only person indoors in your family? No. So uh so my oldest brother, he he's he's sold cars for the last twelve years. He crushes it. He's like, that's his thing. He okay. he, he like loves cars, yeah, through and through. My older yeah. sister, she's a hairdresser. Um, she lives out out 
Is that why you got uh, such good Michigan. hair? What? I guess so, right? Well, maybe. Man. No, I miss her. She used to do my hair, and now I have to go. My aunt does it now, and I've got friends that, that help too. But uh, my sister was out there, and then my little brother directly under me, he manages a team. He's going out. This, it's his first year managing this year, so shout out to Jason. He's With managing. Vivint? Yep. Yeah, love Vivint. He, he's Me too. He's, yeah, it's been a blessing. Yeah. And then he's managed, co-managing with our little cousin too that's his same age. So that's a really cool dynamic. My baby brother, and later on in my story, you'll hear about my stepbrothers. Both of them are now coming out as well. So we've got kind of the whole fam. It's dope. It's a nice rocking circle. Yeah, doing our thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there's just Andersons everywhere. So you, you you go through the divorce. What do the teen years look like that lead into Doors? How do we get to Doors? Like, what's our... Yeah, so, so the transition to Doors was... Well, there's a couple important things that happened before Doors, but... Yeah, let's hit them. So I kind of shut down. Um, there was a lot of conflict within the house and stuff like that. But again, like, I wouldn't change anything. What ended up happening was I went through junior high and just kind of coasted. Like, again, if I'm not noticed and I'm just nice and like, like, I guess just under the radar. Yeah. Under the radar is how I flew. But I really wasn't stoked, happy. I didn't have deep relationships with anyone. I started to realize that, um, some stuff went down and I ended up going and and living with my dad. It was different school boundaries a few weeks into my sophomore year of high school. And when I did that, I just kind of decided out the gates. I had a few really key friends that I played lacrosse with the year prior that were at this new school at Orem High when I transferred. I was just like, dude, I'm just going to go like, I'm just going to go have fun and I'm going to go make friends and I'm going to treat people right. And I'm not going to try and not be noticed, like whatever that means. And like I, I did, I went all in and I like, I grew up a ton in that sense socially where I started to really care about people like more than other people. Right. Which was really strange. And that was amazing. I had the best high school experience. I think I could have ever asked for like in gen. I, I loved it. And I love everyone that I met in high school and they were super crucial for me. Yeah. But midway through high school, a- along the journey, kind of to, to put a little perspective, we, we didn't have any extra money. Not that we were like broke or in poverty or anything like that, but if like we were not going and yeah, like we had Christmases where people came and helped for our Christmas. We were eating Bishop storehouse food. So our church was supplying our food for a lot of the time. We were helping my mom work her third job to be able to pay the mortgage. Me and the two older siblings. Third job. Yeah. So my mom, my mom was a school teacher. She worked a couple different jobs. And then at night we would go clean big office buildings. Um, and I think I was 13. I don't want to get my age wrong. 13 or 12, 13, 14 at the time. Yeah. And my two older siblings would go as well. And we'd clean these office buildings and we'd get a treat at the gas station on the way. And this was at night after everything else. And all the kids would be at home with, with grandma or they'd so be sleeping or whatever. work going from back in the day. I guess so, but not, not by choice. That's yeah. the, that's like, well, a kid never gets work ethic by choice. Yeah. I was, never. I, I was like, actually like if, if you were to ask my dad in high school and my dad and stepmom joke about it, they're like, dude, we used to ask you like, take the trash out. And we were like, what is he going to do in life? Like, <laughs> but it's like, it's cause I didn't care to, like, I didn't yeah. care to do certain things, but I cared about other things. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so we did that through, through growing up. And then in high school, I always, I always worked. So I worked at KT tape in the warehouse at a warehouse job for a long time. I worked at vans in the mall within retail. Yeah. Um, always trying. And I always would offer my friends, parents to do work. Like that was like my number one thing. I was doing chores for Andy Peterson. She like supplied me with, with money and, and like, and I was like, <laughs> but I was working for it. Like no joke. Andy makes you work for your money if you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it has to be perfect. She's a perfectionist, yeah. but, um, she's amazing. But then midway through high school, I was over at my friend, Alex, Alex Dunn's house. Cause Grant Dunn was one of my best friends. We played the cross together and I'd go over there all the time. I don't remember specifically why I was over there this time. And Casey Ball walked in. I didn't know who he was. How old were you? I, this was when I was 15, 16, probably 16. Okay. I think I had just got my license. Um, somewhere in that time frame again, this yeah, is where no, my memory is all over the place. But 
Um, he walked in and he was talking to Alex and they were in the same neighborhood. They were both at Vivint. Alex was the president of Vivint at the time. Casey was one of the VPs of sales, but more so just a friendly conversation about, I think it was church or just life or whatever. Um, and I'm just kind of sitting there. Um, and Casey, Casey like reached for whatever reason. And I looked like a bum. Like I did not look like someone you want coming to your house when you're not there. Like I would probably like be a little bit timid to have hired me for anything. He's like, Hey, do you want work? Like, and I'm like, yeah, a thousand percent, whatever you need. Yeah. And at this point, this is when I had both my jobs, my Vans job and my KT tape job. Um, he's like, okay, well, I want you to wash my cars and stock my fridge. I'm like, okay, deal. And for whatever reason, the second he asked me to do that, I just like, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go do so well and be like, I, I will be the best fridge stalker he's ever had. I'm, I'm going to go impress this guy basically. Yeah. And I did, I took like a huge chip on my shoulder and I took so much time to make that fridge look perfect with every drink you could imagine, bottled drinks, none of the cheap cans, like any new drink that came out, stocked with three different options for water, like everything. And it looked amazing. And then washing the cars was actually, he had a supersonic pass and I just drove him up to the car wash and got him washed. But the car wash people would see me pull up in a Porsche, then they'd see me pull up in a G-Wagon, then yeah. they'd see me pull up in a Raptor. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't, I have no idea. <laughs> and they'd get the full detail. So I was there for like five hours total that day. Yeah. Um, but anyways, a few weeks into that, he's like, He's like, um, I, I want you to start reading these books and reporting them to me and I'll pay you a hundred bucks a book. Mm. And he was paying me 10 bucks an hour. So that's 10 hours of work. If I go read a book, I'm like done. Like, absolutely. And I kept working for him and I did it all the way through high school. Um, but I started reading these books. He gave me as a man thinketh, think and grow rich, the richest man in Babylon, every, everything. And I like, I got hooked and in seen on my, in my senior year, I had worked my schedule out. I had six library aid periods. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's even possible anymore where library aid meant you go and chill in the library, literally. So six of my eight periods was library aid. So I was just reading books for Casey in there and I was going and reporting. We were having a fireside and he took so much time to go and help me. And at first I was doing it for the hundred bucks, but then I started realizing like the way I looked at the world completely changed. changed. Like that was like my rite of passage into like, okay, like life is not only about going and having fun with people. I think I did that really well and I kind of mastered that. Yeah. Life's also about going and making something of yourself, making sure your family and your there's generational wealth to take care of the people underneath you. Yeah. And you never have to struggle for money. Money doesn't mean or make everything, but if you don't have money, it makes things can be really hard. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, and I had always realized that's why I always held jobs and I was really good at saving money. I could live really cheap. Like I was the friend after football games and everyone would go to in and out to eat. I would take a packed PB and J and I'd go for the memories, hang out, but I, I would not eat in and out. I would not eat out ever unless someone was paying for me. Right? Yeah. I, well, I mean, I kind of had to be frankly, yeah. that was, yeah. and that also wasn't my choice. Right. When I got yeah. in, when I got into high school, my dad was like, okay, I'm going to give you a lunch salary. Cause you can't get school lunch. I'm like, okay, sweet. He's like, yes, yeah, school lunch is like a dollar 15 a day. So that's what I'm going to give you. And I'm like dope. And I was like getting like six bucks a week. Mm. So I would choose a couple days to go spend three bucks a week and then the rest I'd figure something else out. Right. So, so how much time? Yeah, no, I vibe with that. I, I had a, I had actually a really troubled youth. Um, but also in, in poverty, my, you know, my mom was, um, an alcoholic, you know, so different circumstances, but similar. So I vibe with what you're saying. It's like, I remember, you know, sometimes there being no food in the house and it's like, you know, when you're little, it's like, you're just trying to figure things out, man. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's, it's intense, but it also, um, you know, I was just watching something, man, I can't remember what podcast Casey was on, but he was talking about how well they did in 2008. Mm -hmm. And he said, the reason that we succeeded was because we're so scrappy. Yeah. And what I think about stories like ours where they're, 
very different but very similar yeah is that it makes you scrappy like exactly. it, it makes you tough like it's it's a different you you know and you see some of these guys from cash valley too and they're they're farm boys man and they grew up working 10 20, they're scrappy yeah. too exactly it's just this grit yeah you know? so there you are with casey um and it's funny dude because i've seen casey post pictures of fridges on Instagram and oh, socials. he cares about it. He does, and he knows for a fact no one. His daughter does it right now. My little brother did it for a little while too. Nobody does it as good as you. Nobody. <laughs> I I would I would say that wholeheartedly. There's no shot anybody stocks it as good as I do, dude. It's like you know I was just sitting there um, thinking what how amazing I've spent very little time around Casey. Um, he's been one of my I, I would say digital mentors. I mean, when I was at Vivint 2017, obviously he was the VP and I got to spend some time with him. Um, but I've just been such a follower of Casey because he's so inspirational. And I was yeah. just thinking when you were talking, um, you know, and I still talk about Casey and my correlations and I yeah. send people his podcasts and I'm like, I'm always trying to like push Casey on people. Cause I'm like, this dude is the vibe, man. This yeah. is like, and I was just thinking how amazing it must've been. You know, how old were you? 15, all the way 16? from, yeah, 14, 15, 16, all the way up until I mean, now even. Like I was with Casey, like he still to this day takes yeah. time. We, he was breaking down how to read a one pager for investments because I told him I was a little bit confused. And like he printed out mm. four one pagers. He said, we're going to sit here until you understand every term and you can break it down for me. Wow. And like that was just a few days ago. And like he is yeah. still, you know what I'm saying? And so here you are the youngest um, regional of Vivint. I mean, there's it's obviously tied to you know how old are you now 23 i just turned 24, 24. yeah just turned 24 this, i mean you know winter. like there i i think there's obviously a direct correlation to having that time spent what a blessing man like the what biggest a, what a blessing yeah dude i i've gone out and said it so many times how big of a blessing like yeah it's insane how big of a blessing it was and like i owe everything to it but on top of that what i also like to stress because i don't like excuses and i don't want someone to have that as an excuse mm. um if you don't have that, it doesn't matter. Mm. You still have Brian Tracy. You still have Zig Ziglar. I've spent more time with Brian Tracy than Casey Baugh. Yeah. By a long shot. I've spent more time with John Wooden than Casey Baugh, right? Not because I've ever met him or I ever will meet him, but because, and Casey catered me to think this way. Casey, that's what Casey helped with. He gave me the Digital way of mentors. looking at things. Me too. Yeah. Right. And now I have these mentors and these friends that I've never met and I will never meet, right? Anyone who's passed away, I will never meet, but They've changed my life. And I, I took it upon myself because you have no idea how many people Casey offered that to. Mm. Like to read a book and get a hundred bucks. He offered it to football teams, church no. groups, and no one ever went and did no, it. No, when, when you were saying that, like, listen, <clears throat> anybody who hears that is like, oh, this is why this, this guy made it. I mean, that's ridiculous. You made it because there was an opportunity and you took it. Um, I, have, I, have, I have managers now, today, grown men. And I, I will offer, I still, I do what Casey does, but I'll offer him 200 bucks. Cause you know, they make good money yeah. and I'm like 200 bucks. If you read crucial conversations. Yeah. Did you ever read it? Never uh, got around to it. Well, never got around to it. And it's like, so, you know, at, at that age, taking the opportunity, you know, I think there are more opportunities presented to people that they completely miss because of fear, because of laziness, um, because of, you know, um, the way their mind works, the way they're, they're still kind of rooted in, 
you know, a fixed mindset and they can't see the forest past the trees, but there you are sitting with Casey and you actually go read the books. Yeah. I agree with the digital men mentors. And I actually got that term from Casey somewhere yeah. along the line. He's like, have digital mentors. He says you're, you're irresponsible if you're not educated in 2023. Cause there's 100%. podcasts, YouTube videos, books, everything. So that that's an amazing experience. And so you go through that. When, what age do you start doors? So my senior year of high school is coming up and Casey kind of became like a, like a really good friend, a boss, a mentor just in life too. Like I would, he, he would always ask me what I'm doing with my family stuff, with yeah. girls, with school, with friends. Am I staying out of trouble? Like he always kept up. Yeah. And I, and I actually, one thing I will credit myself for, I, I did stay out of trouble. Like I, a lot of my friends were getting into trouble and I was always there and I love my friends, but like, it just wasn't my thing. It's not your vibe. It wasn't. And not at the time. Like I, I didn't feel the need to go and do anything. Um, in, uh, in that light. Um, so coming up senior year, I grew up obviously Orem, Utah is the Mecca of the LDS church and everyone is going to serve missions. And I, and I grew up in the church, but I, I fell away in, in high school a little bit, I would say, and, and kind of like figured my own things out. And, um, I went to case. I'm like, Hey, I don't like, I don't think a mission is like my thing, mm. but I don't know what to do. Mm. And I kind of had it in my head that I'm going to go to school until I know what there is better to do. Like until I have something better to do, I will go to school because I don't want to be the guy who doesn't do anything for 10 years. Yeah. Like that was what I knew from the books probably and from Casey. And I was also inspired like, dude, I was surrounded by like, you got to keep in mind when, when you, when, like when you don't have a dollar to spend on like lunch or anything extra, I had everything I needed. I never went like hungry. My parents took great care of me. I, I want to stress that, but like, but then you walk into a $12 million house yeah, and you see abundance. Yeah. You see like abundance and you see how yeah. these people live and you see how they're traveling and you see the experiences they get to have and what the, what they get to do with their kids. Like I, I wanted it for yeah. sure. And like, that was a huge initial driving force since then I've, I've, I've discovered others, but so, so I went up to Casey and I was just like, dude, I don't know what I want to do. And he's like, you should absolutely sell. And I knew he, I knew he was the VP. I was kind of hoping he'd like plug me in somewhere at Vivint. Mm -hmm. No, he said, I think you should sell. And that was it. That was the extent of it. I'm like, okay. I had buddies doing pest control. So I went and met with companies. I went and met with different regionals at Vivint. I met Brad Rossiter, who I'm extremely grateful for. Um, had a phenomenal experience meeting him. My buddy introduced me to him that was out selling with him the years prior. Brad's great. Um, he's amazing. And that, that's who I decided to go with. So right after the senior all-nighter, right after graduating high school, me and a few buddies, we, we packed up and drove out to Memphis, Tennessee, um, which was like shell shock for me. Insanity. It was crazy. And I had some, I had really low self-confidence at this point, like true self-confidence, very, very low. Like social anxiety was really bad when it came to like being in any way invasive, which our job is pretty much a hundred percent invasive. Extremely. Yeah. And so I was I, like, there are times where I would knock doors that summer and I would literally like, I would start freaking and I would leave. If I heard people coming to the door, I would just freaking get yeah. out of there before they see me getting away. How old were you? I was 18. Yeah. So my first preseason trip, I was 17 years old. Yeah. And I went on one, one before summer to Greeley, Colorado. Baptism by fire. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and that year <laughs> that's how was, we do, man. That's, it's that's the how best way to do it. And it that year was a crazy roller coaster, like, but it was amazing. And I, one thing I did do really well is like, I didn't trip about it. Like I was like, I've already been broke. The worst thing that happens if this doesn't work is I stay broke. Like, and my life is freaking dope back home anyways. I don't really care. Yeah which was a blessing and a curse. But I coasted through the summer. It was really hard. Had all the hard days and everything. My friends left midsummer, and I was out of town at the time picking up the friend that I mentioned prior, Grant Dunn, from his mission. 
Um, and they took all my stuff cause I thought I was going to go home with them. But Casey, Brad and Alex didn't really give me the option to not go finish what I started, yeah. which I'm eternally grateful for. But Absolutely. when I got out there, I was broke. I was not performing well. They took my blanket and my bedding. So I was sleeping with a towel where we pushed our beds together. Me and Nate just for whatever reason is fun. He had his blanket and stuff. And then yeah. I had a towel that I would have to sleep with yeah. and I would have to only shower whatever. So it was dry at night when I went to bed, shower in the morning, yeah. use it. So it was dry at night when I went to bed, which was crazy. I, I remember a point when they went to the flying saucer is what this place was called. Um, my, my, who's now my co-manager's name's Caleb's like, yo, we're going to the flying saucer. Let's like, come on. Like we're going out to eat basically on a Saturday. I'm like, no, nah, bro, I can't. And I sent him a screenshot of my bank account. There's 16 bucks in it. And this was after I was working all summer. Yeah. Um, but anyways, the summer ended, I went, I ended up being the, like the lowest producing rep in the region, do this the 26 the- accounts. Yeah. Um, and I stayed like stayed, stayed. I did a lot of those towards the end. Um, hmm. but 26 accounts total. And I honestly, I made 12 grand. And like, for me, I was like, this is sick. Like, yeah. like I thought I was rich and I'd say it all the time. People are sick of hearing it, but I literally went and ordered AirPods. I remember how crazy it was for me to be able to order AirPods. Um, and I got them. So when I got back home, I was going to school. I was taking 17 credits at UVU. I like, I thought I was rich rolling around with my AirPods and I, th- I thought it was dope. Yeah. You were a baller. Let me, uh, yeah. <laughs> the guys that left. Yeah. Where are they? Um, they're doing their own thing. So they, um, no, 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 they're not indoors. Nope. They're you successful. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of my friends, they, and they've, they've played their cards really well. Yeah. And one of them specifically, like my best friend that was out there with me, his name's Koi, like such a stud. Just not his thing. Not doors. Yeah, not his thing. But he's very hands-on. Like, he, he runs an estate management company. He owns a cold plunge company. Like, if you've heard oh, of King Koi, Cold Plunge. Oh, I just bought it. Oh, it's at my house. There you go. It's that's, plugged in. That's Koi. That's my I'm, boy. I'm, the last three days I've been here in Utah, I've been missing <laughs> my cold plunge. Man, that thing is like. If you want to go, text Koi. He's got him in his warehouse. I'll let you go use him. I should have. Yeah, but that. So, my hat's off to him. They they took yeah. their own path for sure. Um, well, kind of the, how many guys, though? So, I want to have. I wanna just want to point in there, like, a testament to. Um, you know, how many people do we see quit on themselves? And it's like, you know, quitting is a, it went, when you start quitting, quitting becomes a habit. hundred percent. And I do vibe with people going off and being successful indoors, not being there. We just had, you just had bucket on mm-hmm. alchemy. And it was funny because he's saying, you know, like I hated door to door. Like as soon as I got in it, I just wanted to do as good as I couldn't get the heck out of it. Yeah. I love it. And so I, I can vibe with people not, and not being their like lifelong ambition. Exactly. But I've seen also, like, I think back to, so John Taylor was, I don't know if you know John. Yeah. He was my original recruiter, uh, regional. And, you know, he wine and dine me at Joe's Steakhouse to get me. But I I think back to that day and had I not made the choice to join Vivint or had I not, um, you know, through the, you know, I had, I was actually rookie of the year. My first year did two, two thirteen installed. But there were so many times in that year where so it was almost as good as me, my rookie year. Almost, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so it was so so hard, and it was so you know I was forty three, man. Yeah, you know, it was very it was it was difficult, and I think if I would have quit, where and my life is so different, and so like I will you know, touch on that, to you, man. Yeah, I will. I will touch on that. Like I, I for sure could I go back in time, I would encourage him not to quit. Like yeah. I, I truly believe that's, that's a habit, but he's obviously gone and made it work no, and everything. And, yeah. but, but I do, I think like, dang, what if, what if, yeah, what if he didn't, you know what I'm saying? And, and there's a million what ifs. So I'm, I'm glad he is where he is, Yeah. but yeah, nine times out of 10, somebody who quits at something is going to quit at everything. Mm. And how you do something is how you do, do everything. everything. And 
it's it's a really it's crazy. Like I tried to quit. When I say Alex Brad, in case he didn't let me no, leave, I, I literally was yeah. on the phone like, hey, I gotta get back for syllabus week. I gotta make sure my car is good. I gotta get into my student housing. And they're like, no. Mm. What date did you say you were gonna be out there? I'm like, well, August twenty-fifth. Hold your mouth. But like I, I got it and he's like, no, no, you're gonna be out there till August twenty-fifth. Then I'm like, no, but you gotta like hear me out. Like, and I wanted the answer so bad. I'm like, yeah, man, good, good work. Go out next summer and crush yeah. it, right? None of them gave me that answer. And I'm so grateful for that because had I quit, like I, yeah, I don't know where I would be. And like that finishing that summer was one of the hardest things I ever did. The weather was terrible. Mm. I was getting dropped. I was a foot soldier in Memphis when it rains, it's just gross. It's just dirty. Yeah. I was not getting into houses very often. Obviously I hadn't had a very good track record. Everyone went home. So there's like four of us left mm. and I'm out there in Memphis, Tennessee still my first year because they said I couldn't quit. And luckily I, I, took what they said and I gave weight to it and I, I, I followed through, man, what it teaches you though. This is the thing too, right? Um, it's, it's not just reading books. It's not, um, that's part of it. It's the application of knowledge and in, in, in most things successful, um, from everything, from the way we eat to, you know, having dedication, in our spiritual lives, having dedication in our, our physical lives our mental lives. Yep. It's hard like getting better and excelling is a difficult thing. Right. And so, you know, reading books, but then learning how to do hard things on that combined, though. Yeah. Being broke is hard too. Super hard. Being lazy is hard too. hundred percent. Being fat's hard too. Way hard. You just get to choose your heart. That's right. And most people don't. So no, I vibe with that. And I'm just thinking back to, you know, my first year was one of the hardest years and I was in the G it was the 2017. So I, I came into Vivint. That was my first year. It was. Yeah. yeah me too, dude. There so we the, go. Yeah, this, the 17 year was the first year. For I was GM chasing program. you. You have no yeah. idea. I had you on my watch. I was gunning for your head. <laughs> Look what we've done, man. I mean, like it's, 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 an, it's an amazing path when it's you crazy. stick with it. And I just think back to that, like, you know, I remember sleeping, like waking up, Bro, my, my feet would touch the ground and I would be like, got to get it, got to get a deal, got to get a deal. Like I yeah. was so obsessed with, and I was in the GM program. So it's just this kind of like marathon of pain my first year, like yeah. sleeping in my car with headaches, like, cause I'm not sleeping and just like knocking like tenaciously on doors. Like, yeah. But the grit that you get and you know, what I, what I tell people now is it's like, would you live the hardest one or two years of your life if it would change your life for the rest of your life. And then yeah. when you compound what we do here, right? Because ultimately we become successful because we do excel as human beings. We understand yeah. the law of the lid. We, yep. we gain knowledge. We continue to gain knowledge. We have inspirational people in our lives that say, Hey, this is how we grow. But then that applied work ethic plus the knowledge compounds into this. And, you know, yep. I always heard in Vivint, Oh my gosh. Everybody would say it. Taylor would say it. Poppy would say it. Casey would say it. It's like, don't overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate what, what you can, can do, do in five. five. Yeah. And it's so true, man. Like yeah. when you look at it, cause you're in, in that first year, you're just in the pit. You're yeah. just knocking. You're a grunt. You're a straight grunt. Like you don't, yeah. you're seeing regionals come in and these dudes and you're hearing dudes door pitches and they seem like some kind of Jedi warrior on a door. Yeah. And you're like, dude, what is this? And you're just like, you're just trying to hold a conversation. Yeah, man. It's like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. But you know, you do a couple of years that plus knowledge, man. And then boom. So, so your first year, 
tough as heck, but yeah. you make it. Um, yeah. And then what, what do we, what do we look like moving into so, two and three? Yeah. Moving into two, this is another like this. So that first year was like my struggle year. And then there was a certain point in time where I started probably a four year, like on fire run that mm. I was, it almost seemed seamless. Mm. Um, and I'll explain that, but I was that off season. I got home, started taking 17 credits in school. I was had busy Monday through, had AirPods. I thought I was rich. Literally. I would, I would make a point to put my AirPods in to walk into class. Like, I don't know why I thought it was so sick. External it validation. Probably, yeah. It was probably the biggest yeah. purchase I'd ever, I don't know, dude. I don't know, but I vibe with it. it was dope and I'll it. still rock with it. There is still dope. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, 17 credits. So I was pretty busy. I was still attending like the trainings. I was still, I would say I was like a good. I was like that rep that you have where you'll never really expect anything of them, mm -hmm. but they're also not going to go be a headache. Like they'll show up, they'll no, be there. They're not going to be a headache. Yeah. yeah. They're not going to complain. Um, and there were two things that really went and changed, like completely changed my, my life. Mm. Um, February 13th in that off season, um, I sat down with Casey and I was just like, it was like a mentor meeting for Vivint. Like I thought it was like a game planning meeting. Like he's always oh, going to go help me get better. Yeah. And he literally sat me down and he kind of, he wrote up like all the stuff. He showed me like what managers can do, like what, what it looks like. And then at the end, we got super real and we don't, he doesn't express disappointment ever really. Um, but he's, he basically told me, he's like, dude, you, you literally have the golden ticket. He's like, if you're going to do the job, do it or don't. Mm. And I was like, Oh, I was like, okay, got it. Like yeah. Roger that you don't need to say anything else. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And from that point on, I changed everything. I made a five-year plan. Hmm. I decided I had one preseason account because we went to Nampa, Idaho for two days. <laughs> that was it. We got robbed while we were up there. This dude broke into our, our hotel. It was crazy. Jesus. Um, it was wild. But yeah. um, anyways, got one, got one preseason up until that point. And I started setting these goals that were just terrifying. But I trusted Casey. Yeah. And like, I was not going to let Casey down. Like yeah. I, I, that, I didn't care about the money. I didn't care. Like this is when other things became more important. Um. But he also, at the end, he's like, you can do it. He's like, you could be a regional. A hundred percent, you could be a regional. And like, and I didn't think I could. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, maybe I'll go sell 60 mm -hmm. and then I'll come to school again. Then I'll go sell 80 and then I'll come to school again. But I, I kind of flipped a switch and I went full time. So I started knocking. I had Fridays and Saturdays off. I'd go, I'd throw my freaking uniform on, stop at McDonald's. It was right by my place. Preseason. Drink a bang. Yeah, it was preseason when no one was doing preseason. Yeah. And I knocked Utah and I, so, I made a goal to sell as many I sold the prior summer in, in preseason. Mm. So I went and sold 26 on the dot preseason accounts. Mm. That off season went out the next summer and sold 175. The second thing though that changed my life right before that summer was the home opener. And I was at the home opener with Brad who was, who's my regional and, or my upper. And then we were there with Jeremy Bell, who was a regional I met with that told me I wouldn't do good. And I only say this now because I love Jeremy now. Like mm -hmm. Jeremy, I, I understand him now. He's like, he's a really cool dude. But when I sat down to meet with him, he's like, yeah, like you've never done anything. Like good luck yeah. basically. And I, I just didn't vibe with that yeah. at the time. Cause yeah. I was like, a, I was like, just be nice, bro. Just be cool. Yeah. Um, and, and I was there, it was me and Brad and him and one of his better rookies, this rookie did like 85 or 90 his rookie year. Yeah. Um, and we'd both just come off our rookie year and they, you know how, you know how everyone is in the industry. Everyone, everyone's competitive or whatever. Super. And Jeremy started kind of poking at me. Um, and like, I was like, so incredibly mortified and embarrassed. Like, I'm like, dude, like I'm, I, I know I sucked. You don't have to say mm -hmm. anything about it. And then he like started joking about putting me and this other guy head to head, like this summer, like, let's make a bet. And Brad, 
without even blinking, he's like, okay, done. He's like, Zach will outsell blank five grand and mm-hmm. put his hand out to shake Jeremy. And I was like, I was terrified. I'm like, no, I won't. I'm like, you, <laughs> like, you dumbass. I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, but shook his hand. Jeremy still hasn't paid by the way. Um, and that's ongoing. So Jeremy five grand, whenever you got it paid to Brad. Um, but that was like, dude, when I say like both of them believing me, believing in me way more than I believed in myself, like I locked in and I went and like, I doubled, I doubled that person. And that was, I didn't want to beat him. Yeah. I don't want to do 10 more. I don't want to do 20 more. Don't I was like, eat. I will, every day he sells one, I'll sell two. Every day he sells two, I'll sell four. Mm. And I like lived, I didn't even check what my team was doing. Like my, the people I was with, mm. I only checked what he was doing and he doesn't even know that. So there's no hate towards him or anything. No, he I was did. just there. Yeah. But yeah, that was like, that was a big level up experience. And then from there, that was like, that started like a four, four year streak of just like, you know, when you get into the groove and you get the swagger and you have the plan and you're executing and you're so deliberate and you're so disciplined and it's so clear, yeah, it doesn't matter what happens. And like a lot happened. I got, when I was 20 or 19 years old, I got stress induced shingles. Mm. Like you don't get that till you're 70. Yeah. Like when I went to the doctor and they saw it all breaking out, it's the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Mm. And like, it's the craziest thing. We were out in Sykeston, Missouri. They went to this terrible hospital. They gave me the medications and I was in pain for like a week straight. Didn't know what it was. I kept like, I called my stepmom, called my mom, called my, I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like my whole body hurts every time I do anything Yeah. and went to the hospital and they, they told me what it was. And they're like, yeah, you got to be like, you need to be in bed three days on this medication. Like if you get touched, like your whole body hurts. It's the, I don't, anyone who's had shingles know exactly what I'm saying. But it's a, it's a nerve, it's a nerve infection basically. So it can only break out where nerves start and it stays in one section, but it affects your whole body. And I remember I was in Sykeston, there was five of my guys left. It was extension. And these other four guys, I was like dragging them along. Like I had like this militaristic way of running things where I was like, no, like if you don't have school, you're with me. Like we're doing it. Like, and these guys were miserable. I don't even know if they were working. Shout out to those guys, like for, for being there. I was making them journal every morning. Yeah. Um, and I remember I was like the only one selling every day. And yeah. I, I would not let our team go a day with a zero on the board. And I remember I, I went to the doctor at like 10 a.m., got back to the, the apartment at, or the Airbnb at noon. My guys all went out at like one and I went to bed. I took the medicine. I went to bed and it makes you like crazy tired. This medicine it like drains you. I went to bed and I remember I woke up at like five in like a sweating panic, checked the mobile report. God knows why. Cause that's the most important thing. Obviously I'm like dying. Yeah. We were at zero and I like freaked Vegas. out, yeah. freaked out. I don't remember this at all, but I freaked out and I started knocking the neighborhood in my, in my t-shirt. I was wearing an authentic t-shirt from Casey ball time, <laughs> my slides, no hat, no badge, nothing. And I sold an account and I have a selfie with this chick. It was the only reason I know it is because the next day I checked the mobile report and I was on it. I had a picture in my phone to take a picture with all my customers on her door. I never even went inside. Yeah. Sold her and she was getting installed the next day. And like, that was a crazy time as well. So there were ups and downs along the whole thing, but I started a four year, I'd call it like a heater where I was just like, well, it's when it's when it clicks, right? Like, you know, my first year on the doors, um, I was just terrified, man. I was, I was honestly (laughs) terrified. I had left a job where I was in transportation. I did um, sales for transportation. So like, um, you know, the MGM account, the Caesars palace where anybody would go for mass transportation. Yeah. Those were the clients I was trying to line. And then they would just book their people in my limos. Yeah. I mean, you know, 110, my last year there and then Uber and Lyft came in. And so I went into doors and I was zeroed out. Like I was no paychecks. I, you know, I had a three-year-old daughter at the time and I was just terrified Yeah, the the whole year. I was just like, you know, uh, I can't, 
I'm not going to sell my house. Yeah. And like, and you know, I'm sitting there with John Taylor and I'm like, well, I feel like this dude can do it. And there were some other dudes and you know, we had some beasts. Pat Mendez was in the office. Jeremy Moriello was in the office back then. Justin yeah. Mott was a dude that was in the office. No, back all then. these names. That's crazy. That, that was, you know, and we had this little squad of hitters, man. And it was like, you know, it was, it was, it was funny. There's a story. So when I started, John was like, okay, we knock Monday through Saturday. And I'm like, okay. And that was just what we did. Yeah. And the core was at nine or 10, depending mm -hmm. on if it was daylight savings or not. Yeah. And then you just go knock and then you knock till seven. Right. So you're knocking just a lot. Yeah. And that's just what I did. And you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just program. Like I just work. Like if you say that's the job, then I just go do the job. Yeah. And I remember when Blackstone bought Vivint, yeah. HR sent John, a, somebody had snitched yeah. and they sent John a thing and they, they said, they're 1099s. You can't make them work. You're six days work with these guys. <laughs> and he was like, well, but still work. Yeah. And so he did, you know, and it was like that whole year was just terrifying to me because, yeah. you know, I was, I, it hadn't clicked yet. I didn't know. Yeah. You know, I saw guys, you know, and it's, it's tough, dude. You see, you know, see ball fly in and talk and you're like, this dude is like, from another planet yeah like human yeah and then you know mendez comes in and i remember one day and we're like oh we're gonna mess this dude up man we're gonna mess him up he's yeah. like he's like go and we started throwing objections at him and he's just like bam 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 you know he's a beast yeah and i remember just thinking like oh my god this guy's so crazy like there's no way to be at this level <laughs> yeah and that whole year was just terrifying. Yeah. And then I got into my second year my first year i made like 130 grand my second year i made like 190 grand but my second year started to click yeah. because at first it's just the money. You're just like, I just, it, it's what you're saying. The tangible thing originally is the money Yep. and you just want to get that. And, but then you start, you're soon you're around these guys. And this is what I tell my people now is like, you know, there's an old saying, don't, don't, don't focus on the money. Try to become, don't look, want to be a millionaire. Want to be the person who knows how to make a million dollars. Yeah. And so you see all these people who are doing what you're doing that are in the game that are just kind of leading through servitude and doing Sunday planning and working really hard and they're scheduling and they're recruiting and they're reading and they're doing all these things. Yeah. And you're like, wow, I really start to see the wealth. And so I, I vibe with what you're saying. Cause in my second year, like the game kind of clicked Yeah. and that's where I really started to take off. Like my, my methodology took off. Well, dude, that's that, going back to what you just said, that is probably the best advice you could give someone in that owns a business or that is in the industry that we do. Money comes second. Mm -hmm. And if you do everything else, the money comes because guys, this is, this is also why you go see guys within, within the industry that have never been in a company for years. They've never been in a company longer than two, right? Yeah. Because they get so fixated or they get so worried. I've seen people walk away from a million dollar opportunity mm -hmm. over two grand. Yep. And it's like, dude, you're psycho. Mm -hmm. Like you are, you are missing the mark. Yeah. And it's such a drop in the bucket. There are, there are plenty of times where I could have gone and got all worked up over a certain hold or a certain yeah. whatever that would have cost me so much more than it would have paid me to go millions. in. Millions, you know, Benning, I, I loved my interview with Benning and, you know, I'm in solar obviously. And, you know, he said what, what guys think originally is it's a really, it's a really, um, immature way to look at the industry in any of it pay scale. Um, but redline does not equate to what's in your bank account. What equates to what's in your bank account is the long-term relationships, right? And it's like it, the ability and why long-term relationships and why loyalty and why commitment? Well, because when we have a, 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 an ultimate commitment to what we're doing and the people that we're with, 
the problems that seem so big and insurmountable to other people are just, it's just a small anthill and I'm going to get over it. But where they fail to realize what equates to what's in my bank account is that long-term relationship. Because what we're doing together when we're on teams, like we are in different companies, but we each understand these relationships Yeah, is we're building massive, solid foundations that we can build the tallest building on together over time. Which takes consistency and yes, years. years. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen. happen. Yeah. And yeah. that's where the wealth comes from. And it's not just... The, and people think that money is the only way to get paid. And it's actually the least way to get paid. Knowledge is the best way to get paid. And like walking through hard times and difficult times and building together and recruiting together and selling together and doing all the things that we do for long periods of time is what gets people to that million, multi-million dollar level, the investment levels where you build that trust with people. I mean, look at Sandlot Partners. Those guys are in that because they spent 12, 13, 15 years together at Vivint building those relationships. And then we yeah. look at these guys, they're some of the goats in the industry. Yeah. And what was the key factor? It wasn't a paycheck. It wasn't a back end or a couple back ends or a summer or a couple recruits. It was that long-term relationship and yep. man, the tallest building that you can see. So exactly. Super dope, man. I love that. Um, so yeah. So you click through and your four years is like... <laughs> Bam. Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. So tell me about some of the pinnacles of that. So uh, pinnacles like, dude, when I say it was like, I was just on fire and it's a blur. And like, since now, like you talked about, you get to the certain level where you are the best and then you suck at something mm -hmm. right now, the level I'm at, I'm back to that <laughs> level where it's like, okay, back to the freaking whiteboard, yeah. go and plan out. I've got to go and figure out how I'm going to go and do this and become the best at it type yeah. thing. Right. And I'm, I'm struggling with it. And that's why I say I was on fire for four years after that. Cause like truly, from rep to manager, I feel like that I, I loved it. Like I freaking loved it. Managing one office. Like I've, I've managed an office with 80 reps in one office, which is insane. Mm -hmm. I've managed, I've managed an office with 36 where our per rep averages were over 115, Good look. which is like, which is crazy. But then when you manage, so it's like, I've been through all of these different things, but I'd say some pinnacles are like when I first started seeing other people, like I remember one year I got a back end check over 250 grand. I don't even remember what it was. I know it was over that because it was my first time, but I, it was over that. And I was like, oh, cool. Like I saw it hit my bank account. Right. And I was like, dope. Like that was the amount, that was the range of emotion I felt was mm -hmm. like dope. But then I remember very specifically, this kid that I brought in got a really tough upbringing. Financial situation was not good. Um, family situation was tougher. And his back end was like 22 grand. And like, I'm explaining it to him going through it. And he just like breaks out into like, tears and like my range of emotion then i started crying like that was those are the pinnacles now yeah a hundred percent those are the pinnacles now and and being able to see my guys go and do things they could never do and like my guys are now getting married like my ogs are now getting married my little brother's married like and just like in the moment things so, seem so tough but mm -hmm. the pinnacles are always when i see other people break like when i see them break like this barrier in life yeah and for some guys that's making 20 grand yeah for other guys, that's making their first six figures. Mm. For other guys, that's that's like being able to go and pay off their mom's credit card debt, right? Like that's the stuff where that gets me super fired up now. That's Those are pinnacles well over running the number one producing team or anything like that. And we love those. And I love, like we have internal beef within the company. Like we have teams that headhunt us. We headhunt them. We've had drama, <laughs> like the whole nine yards, of course. But yeah. like the real stuff that actually like keeps me going and gets me stoked when you ask why I love my job, that. That's why. Yeah, I vibe with that a lot. I've had a lot of those um, 
I've had a lot of those stories and with, with my team members and my, myself included, I mean, breaking through my own barriers of like, um, you know, sometimes I just equate it to like, I feel like, you know, a fixed mindset. I always equate it to people are just like in cement shoes in life and they just can't see more. And I remember when my light turned on and I remember I, and I, I watch other people's lights turned on and it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. So how many guys are you running right now? So right now we've got a little bit over a hundred dudes. So we're coming up on year, this is what, year seven for me. Seven, yeah. Yep. Year seven. So how many guys? hundred dudes right now, right over a hundred. And how many was last year? Last year we, we had just under 80. And the year before? Um, so we, we had a few, a few instances where we lost to whole team. We had to terminate whole teams basically. Yeah. But, um, year before I want to say we had 40 to 50. Yeah. 40 to so 50. let's talk a little bit about recruiting, you know, because this is, um, um, I'm talking on the recruiting panel at SolarCon, and this is often, um, in, in, in my experience, it's one of the most underestimated. It's like when a rookie goes with you on a door. Yeah. And he's like, that was easy. And you're like, it's not easy, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I just let him know. Yeah. So let's talk about your experience in recruiting because obviously, you know, over the last few years, um, you've become incredibly successful. And last year you ran, it was the, how many, 4,300 accounts or? Yep. So, and that's, that's a great feat. That's amazing. Right? Yeah. So um, let's talk about recruiting over the last couple of years and what you've learned from that and what, why you, why are you a good recruiter? What's helped you recruit? Well, I'll actually start by telling you the absolute truth. I'm a terrible recruiter. When it comes to recruiting, I'm actually not very good. Okay. My own, my own stepbrother sold pest control for three years and this is his first year with me. And he's like, dude, why did you not get me sooner? Yeah. Right. So I have this issue where I don't want to be the guy that's like forcing something on someone, but I will absolutely accept anyone if that makes sense. Like, and I will go dump my heart and soul into making sure you get it. Attraction rather than promotion. Yeah, exactly. Right. But like what I have learned about recruiting and like, and I've seen, I don't think there's a better recruiter in the world than Todd Peterson. I, I truly don't believe. The goat. I don't believe there is like, and and that's biased for sure. Casey's amazing. Brad's amazing. All these, but like I've seen Todd recruit, um, in in different aspects of the word. But what recruiting is to me, recruiting is telling a story that inspires and that's true, mm. right? And then being able to honestly offer that exact same path or a similar path to somebody else and communicating that and relaying that message to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, it really is like recruiting is a sale, obviously, but it's 100%. way, way, way more personal. Like I mean, a sale you're going and you're selling them. Yeah. It's, it's very emotional. And you're like, you're going and basically pitching them not to buy solar or smart home. You're pitching them to spend the next five years under your wing, under your guidance and under what you, what you know to work, yep. which is a really big deal to me. And that's why I'm very, I'm very, I wouldn't say timid, right. But I'm, I'm like, if someone's really stoked where they're at, I don't see it as my obligation to go and get them less stoked on that and try and get them more stoked on what I do. I vibe with that. Right. So, yeah. so I've, and I've lost a lot of recruits because I mean, my own stepbrother, like that's, you can imagine how many recruits I've lost because that, that's someone I know really well. And I knew the situation he was in and I explained it and I'm always, and I'll always warn people, but if they don't want to trust me, I'm not going to go convince. I'll let them go see that I told the truth because that's how you get loyalty, mm-hmm. right? Like more important than recruiting is, is retaining. And mm-hmm. if your expectations are all the way up here and your reality's here, you mm-hmm. lose everybody. But if your expectations are here and your reality's here, mm-hmm. your reality is higher than your expectations. You keep your people. I vibe with that. So I don't mean to not answer your question, but I, I think telling a story is really important. You like, you have to understand your story is enough. And if, if you don't think your story is good enough to recruit to, 
someone else has a story into you know, the situation that you're in. Like I, the year I sold 26, I recruited seven bodies mm. and I didn't have a really cool story, but I had Casey's story. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And Brad's story. What, what's interesting. So I just came up for a leadership retreat and they had, um, I had never heard of him before, but it's a guy named Dan Young. And he's, you know, he's in the, uh, his, his bio is like, he's, you know, a little older, mm-hmm. um, professional speaker. But when he was talking about, um, when he was talking about stuff, he was talking about sales, but recruiting is sales. Yeah. And what he said is exactly, it's, it's really interesting because I, what you're saying, you actually did answer the question for anybody who knows recruiting, but what Dan, the way that he put it was have a story know your story because the story is what sells people like, and cause what they want to know is, can you do it? Yeah. Have you done it? Are you doing it? Yeah. And that's part of the story is like, Hey, listen, you know, for you, just the story that I'm tracking back is, Hey, I was a, a kid that, you know, um, had parents that loved him that didn't have a lot of money and I found an opportunity and I, made it right. And and this is where I'm at now. And then are you currently doing it? You're currently doing it. You're running org. And then the next thing is, can I do it too? That's what the recruits going to ask is, can I do it too? And then the next thing is, do you have a system? Like what's the system for me to do it? Yeah. And you're right. Like, I think, you know, the beautiful thing about Vivint, I was just talking to, um, you know, there's a bunch of us from, from my company that came from Vivint. And, you know, we all love and respect Vivint. Obviously, it's one of the the most amazing companies. Just, bro, I, listen, the Vivint training manual is online. Yeah. And that is the greatest door-to-door manifesto ever written in history, dude. <laughs> but the education that you get from, from Vivint is just, it's amazing. But the processes that I got from Vivint, the how do yeah. you do it? Yeah. Because this is what happens is guys can tell a great story and they can show them how to knock a door, but they can't show them how to build or how to run or how to operate. Yeah. And that's one of the beautiful things about Vivint. I think legacy as well. And there's other organizations that do these things great too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the way you put it. It's you're just, you're telling your story. I can show you how to do it. You can do it too. And this is the system that we have to put into it. Yeah. And then on on that, on like team building in general, again, retaining is right there with recruiting. If you're a great recruiter and a terrible retainer, good luck. Like that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a headache and a half and a very long career of rebuilding. Um, but retaining is, is really that to me is like an art form and retaining has to do cause it's a very personal level with people. Mm-hmm. You also have to fill, fulfill on all their other needs and, and truly like the best advice I ever got. And the reason I'm so grateful that I came up the way I did around the people I did is because the number one thing hammered into my head, not only hammered into my head, but then displayed right in front of my eyes was treat your people like gold. Yeah. And Todd Peterson did that to a fault, like yeah. literally like yeah. treat your people like gold and how you do something is how you do everything. All these one liners, not only were they said, but I, I witnessed very early. It does not matter what you say. It matters what you do. Yep. Right. But if what you say is in line with what you do, you're probably a pretty good person to follow. Yeah. Does that make sense? Cause I 100%. see a lot of people that say a lot of things and a lot of my guys are like, thank you so much for like hosting this event. I'm like, don't tell me, thank you. Show me, just show up, be here the whole time and enjoy it. Yeah. Right. And then you have guys that leave early. It's like, okay. You know, yeah, what, I'm, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. It's, it's, it's an interesting industry. You know, one of my favorite people in our industry is Ty Williams. He's um, Vivint, uh, well, Sunrun now, Solar. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he was a purebred all the way until they bought it. But he's just his mind. He's such a genius mind, man, the way that he puts stuff. But, you know, he he did a thing. It was called How Close is Too Close. And it's talking about with, you know, with our team members and, like, the people that we pour ourselves into. And it's like, it's a very interpersonal business. Yeah. And the retaining side of it is, you know, because what guys do, I don't know if you've ever read Crucial Conversations, but, you know, what people do is they, they fail to have the crucial conversation because of some fear that they have of what you're going to say or what you're going to do or what the circumstance. And then what they do is they tell themselves kind of a clever little story yeah. about what would happen. And then off they go. They're, they're down in, in the rabbit hole in Never Never Land. And so the retaining aspect yeah. and like growing as a leader and like gaining knowledge and never letting anyone catch your leadership cap includes understanding the psychology of yourself and understanding. And, you know, when I tell people I do therapy, it's not just for me, it's to become a better leader. If I understand my mind, I understand my people's minds. And yeah. the cool thing for me the last couple of years is I've created this environment where I've had a lot of people have, come and have those crucial conversations with me because they feel comfortable and safe. Yeah, And that's ultimately retaining is like coming to that level with your people. Yeah. And the like total side, total off, off, off distance that's also the secret to relationships from what i know and i don't think i'm a master but i ask people i ask for advice and everything if i know someone who's been married 50 years and they seem happy i'll ask them advice and like you can't go have this preconceived notion of the direction the conversation is going to go before you have it you need to go and have it right and it's the same with your people and you also need to be you need to be in a situation where your partner or your rep or your business partner feel comfortable enough to come to you with these uncomfortable conversations and work through it. 100%. So I, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever read crucial conversations? Long, long time ago. Yep. Dude. Probably so should reread that one. It You should dude. So, um, it, everybody that I've, I, I tell them, I said, when you read it, you're going to be reading it and you're gonna be like, Oh, they wrote a book about me. <laughs> Because it's like, it's so relatable. It's, it's so relatable. Yeah. It's like human nature, man. But like, you know, understanding clever stories and making fool's choices was great for me. Yeah. So listen, I know we're, we're running a little short on time, dude. Um, I want to talk also really quick about, um, you know, I just had Doug Cartwright come down to my office yeah. and, um, it was crazy because he got up and, man, you know what I love about Casey? Just to, he's so emotional, dude. I went to Knockstar a couple years ago and Casey was just up on stage just bawling. Yeah. Just talking about like, and I just love it. I love that he's so vulnerable because it gives me like, and I, I texted him. And, you know, he cries on podcasts and I'm like, dude, your vulnerability gives me the strength to be authentic and to be vulnerable. Yeah. So Doug came down because it, it just does, man. Doug came down and he gives his presentation on alchemy and I'm going, I'm peeling all my layers back, you know, with like <laughs> getting into myself and like, I got up in front of correlation. I'm just like bawling. Yeah. And I'm like, this is amazing. So, you know, I, I want to talk about a little bit really quick, maybe a couple minutes about alchemy, what you guys are doing with that. Yeah. I just joined in. So dude, and I'm so stoked to have you. I think to preface business is a spiritual game. Mm. And that gets kind of lost and forgotten in the mix of everything a lot of the time. And one thing that's so cool about Alchemy, so Alchemy Sales Coaching, everyone that, that listens to my podcast will yeah. have heard the ads and they've heard yeah. Doug talk about it. Um, but it's a sales coaching platform. But more than that, I'll explain kind of the multifacets of it. It's a community where everyone is in a very similar situation. And in that situation, you typically don't focus on the things that actually matter. You get distracted by other things, which in essence hurts what you're trying to go and do. It hurts your production. Yeah. Like Doug always says, you don't have a sales problem. You have a you problem yep. and it's affecting your sales. So that's, that's like the main focus and the main benefit of that group is we literally work through 
every, I mean, dude, we do, we do all the woo woo stuff like this. Then that's not, like that's pretty frowned upon like a, and Bodhi Gardner's even started to get into yoga. It's the craziest thing. Moved out to Puerto Rico. I went out and visited him, got into yoga, like apologized for something he did years ago. And Bodhi used to be like this freaking just hard Bodhi's, ass. Bodhi's like known as a tough ass. Yeah. And like, dude, he's like apologizing to me at lunch for something that he said to make my cousin uncomfortable or like yeah. feel like he was being rude to him. I'm like, Whoa. But like we, we dive into all that. Like you dude, there's no point in anything. There's no point in making a million dollars. There's no point in being successful. There's no point in being the man. If you're not happy yeah, at all. 100%. And like for me, and I know there's a lot more to it and Doug would probably say it different than I would, but for me, and it's, it's different for everyone. And, and when I, when I coach people like focusing on like, dude, Yes, I, like systems are important, all of that, but your state and your story are 90% of it, Yeah, right? Your strategy is such a small percentage and we spend all day, all week, all month, all year focusing on strategy, which is 10% of what actually matters. 90% of it is your state. How, like, how are you, a, how, how do you show up and your story? What are you saying in your head? And like, I've been the guy where I'm, I'm dominating, but what's going through my head is not good. Um, same, same boat. You know what I'm saying? I so, do, 100%. so that like. Uh, the reason alchemy is so cool and like so unique in, in our industry specifically, this is for door to door people. Like we go and put a very, very, very heavy focus on interpersonal. And now we, after a year of doing it, have the data to show that it goes and it will dramatically Im improve your production. There's guarantees within it. Get on a call with Doug and ask him, like we now have the data to show that. And it's, it's been blowing up from there. So it's, it's very cool, man. So yeah. I'm, I'm stoked to have you. You're a massive ad. And, and that, that, that is what makes alchemy cool. Doug does not. I love Doug. Doug does not make alchemy cool. I do not make alchemy cool. Jay Shaw does not make alchemy cool. Doug, me, Jay Shaw, cruiser, you, Jason, baby kit. That makes yeah. alchemy cool. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I vibe with that. And I, it's just a, it's a level of like in, in increasing your um, personal production. I can be in my beautiful world. I was just talking with um, Seth, uh, my, my good friend, about this this weekend, is I can be in this amazing world that I've created. You know, beautiful daughter, amazing relationship with her, wonderful marriage, amazing relationship with my wife's bouncing around, happy, and business is good, money's and stuff, and, like, the team's doing good or bad. You know, it's just, yeah. and I'm just sitting there in the very heart of it on my couch with just dark cloud. Exactly. Like, uh, you know, and it's like, and that's a lack. And, you know, I, I'm a strong believer in the law of attraction. And what you think about is what you get because it's what you do. And it's like, that's why I've been so focused on that area of my life because I have become successful, but I feel like I've hit a 10th of the success. And if I want the other 90% of it, that's spiritual success and mental success. And the rest will, will absolutely follow. Exactly. And that's, I've had good examples and that, that's why I take the like, I, I think it's so important because I've seen the Casey's and the Todd's and yeah. like, well, it's right there in front of us, brother. Exactly. It's crazy. So Zaza, man, this is, um, we're running out of time. I could chop it up with you all day. I know, dude, dude. that flew yeah. by. I'm sorry. That, yeah. I talk a lot, bro. No, I apologize. No, that flew I, by. I, I vibed with it. I, I think that's what I, I love hearing it. And, um, you're, you're an extremely impressive man. Um, what you've done and, you know, like I, I, I think um, a big part of it is that you've actually been able to take advantage of things that other people wouldn't take advantage of. And obviously you're an incredibly hard worker, but Thank your you, knowledge man. base and who you are um, as, you know, just starting to get to know you spiritual, mental, right. What you're doing in, in, in the door to door space, having your podcast. I mean, you know, obviously you're a, a massive part of the industry and a positive force. And I think that we need, 
so much more of that. So, you know, I've just, just in this conversation and just being in alchemy, I've gained a lot of respect for you, man. So thank you, brother. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for, um, doing this co-branding thing. Yeah, I like me. it, this bro. It'll be fun. Super dope. I'm yeah. excited, man. We'll do another one for sure. hundred percent. I'll host it. Cause I want to hear the whole story, man. Let's for real. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks. Zaza. Yeah. Thank you. All right, bro. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Um, as always, it was a blast for me. I hope you got something out of this. If you got something out of this video, of value.